0: welcome to the AUDSS podcast. My name is Yanni Pafaris and today I'm here with Margie Steffens, our patron of the AUDSS for 2021, lecturer and director of the Community Outreach Dental Program and the recipient of the Medal of the Order of Australia for her service to community health through outreach dental programs. How are you doing today, Margie?
1: I am very well, thanks, Yanni yourself thank you very much for inviting me no today. it's
0: a pleasure to have you on i'm sorry we haven't had you on before now actually i feel like it's a bit late but <laughs> never too late it's uh, it's very good to have you on so before we get involved into the dental stuff and get bogged down in that conversation i thought you could talk a little bit about yourself uh some of your hobbies and your interests outside of the dental field you know, which is you know, you know, becomes all consuming i feel at one point but
1: right okay so my gosh what do i do let me see. Music, art I paint um, oh, to amuse myself, but I haven't done any for a while because work has mm. sort of gobbled up time. Music, I used to have quite a big involvement with music, used to sing, involved in theatre um, for a number of years, which was a lot of fun. And I think a really important thing when you're mm. working in any profession to have something outside of have that. An It's a great release and um, it just expands your world in so many ways. Um, I enjoy a nice bottle of wine, good food, good company, enjoy going to the theatre. I um, also read a lot, prolific reader. And we were just chatting before, Yanni, about when I was doing my studies, my, my world was really centric, and now mm. it's just so lovely. And I can highly recommend just exploring and expanding your mm. reading capacity. At the moment, I'm reading. What am I reading? Actually, Nelson Mandela is probably okay. one of my all time favorites as a great humanitarian yeah. and an amazing human being. So I'm reading uh, Long Road to Freedom, A Walk to Freedom, that he's mm. written. Um, just saw The Courier with Benedict
0: Cumberbatch.
2: Okay, Good
1: movie. If you like spy yeah. movies, it's absolutely brilliant.
0: I'll have to put it on the list then. just yeah. the ever-growing list of movies they need absolutely. to watch. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> and Netflix, I have to say, COVID sort of got me into watching <laughs> Netflix. And every now and again, I'll do a binge watch. But mm. I just recently watched The Interpreter, okay. which is about uh, Nicole Kidman as the actress in it and she's pretty amazing so she's working for the united nations Mm. and it's based again on a true story uh, about the intrigue and the conspiracies and things like that so and sci-fi fiction (laughs) fantasy detectives spy thrillers it's everything everything just getting lost
0: in different worlds
1: just it's fabulous to do that Mm. really important to get mm. that balance there and just to switch off from other things so yeah i'm a great one for escapism
0: <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't agree with you more um i've just been watching the serpent recently on netflix which oh, is yes. yeah quite good i think i'm about three four episodes in yeah, and it's I, a very very good show yes,
1: i think i've binged that for a while too <laughs> yeah but very interesting isn't it
0: oh mm. very fascinating i have a tendency to go towards a lot of these sort of you know, murder mystery oh. kinds of shows. So it's right up my alley. Oh, excellent. So I thought we might um, might talk a little bit about your dental career. Now, you worked in various fields prior to becoming uh, a dental hygienist. Right? So you worked in uh, airlines and pharmaceuticals. What mm-hmm. sort of prompted that, that shift towards dentistry? With
1: this... Fact or fiction, you want? or we'll give you a bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> um, a of both. A dramatic retelling. A dramatic retelling. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds terrible. A job came up in, the, in my local area uh, for a dental assistant and I was, what was I doing? I think I was working in a pharmacy at the time and decided that I'd had enough of that <laughs> and thought, I'll give that a shot. Yeah. And got a job there and lasted a couple of years and then went on a net dental hygiene. So that's kind of how I actually got into it. It was, I think I was very restless as a young person, couldn't settle down to one thing, couldn't make up my mind, Mm. probably wasted an awful lot of time at school, but had a lot Mm. of fun.
0: I think it helps you find out what you want.
1: Absolutely. And I think the message that is there is that it's never too late to change your mind and go on. And it doesn't matter what you've done, um, what work field you've been in, it still all goes to really valuable experience and to making you into the person that you are to become. But I'd also had really bad experiences with dentists as a child. And I think it did occur to me at some point that there's got to be a better way to look after people mm-hmm. than this very um, unpleasant, more um, aggressive, paternalistic sort of approach. Yeah. And I think that was another thing that, that sort of led me into other areas of dentistry.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's mm-hmm. fantastic. I think um, I dentistry has actually changed quite a bit, or, or thinking back to you know, the first couple of years in dentistry. Uh, they definitely have a very strong focus on um, sort of the decision-making process with the patient and sharing that decision-making process, making sure that uh, there's informed consent there and very much sort of moving away from that paternalistic side of things. It's interesting to hear that that was one of the reasons why you thought to get into it in the first place Mm to try and, you know, presumably change that kind of dynamic with patients. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's really admirable. Um, And just touching on... um, in some of the work you did previously, I'm sure you would have felt that that just really helped enormously in building rapport with patients and being able to talk to anyone.
2: Oh, massively
0: so. so. Look,
1: I worked in retail (laughs) (laughs) uh, for a couple of big stores, Um, worked in an airline, worked as a pharmacy assistant and also dispensary assistant. And I think that also, working as a dispensary assistant, gave me a really good underpinning knowledge about uh, pharmaceuticals Mm. And what was in them? I was very curious about all of that. And plus, even though I didn't enjoy it at school, I learned Latin. Oh, okay. They <laughs> were the days when we learned Latin, uh, which again has been really, really helpful mm. for doing for going into this area. Because, as we know, such a lot of our language comes from Latin, Greek, etc. Um. So, yeah, working in, I guess, customer service, and really it is a service industry that we're in, Yeah, that you can be the best clinician in the world, but if you don't relate well to your patients, you're not going to have a really good business. So you have to be pretty good at a lot of things and I would really encourage people to to get involved in customer service or even to work as dental assistants because you learn a lot about managing patients through that so yeah I think I did have one job which was really fascinating I worked um it was in hospitality and I worked for lay girls as a waitress Oh, okay. <laughs> so that was hilarious. That taught me yeah. a lot about human nature and about <laughs> the the variables in people, which it yeah. was a fantastic experience. So I mm. think you kind of have to be a bit brave at times and put yourself in uncomfortable positions to learn something so that then you can carry that yeah. through to what you do in the future. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it definitely sounds like it was really mm. helpful in building some of those uh, those soft skills mm. you know, um, just relating to patients and such. Um, I know that yeah, as I 've gone through dentistry there's mm. more of an emphasis on those hard skills, you know the technical skills, mm. e in clinic, but um, yeah, and at the end of the day or once we graduate, it's those soft skills that are going to be able to or uh, it's what's uh, going to help us get patients mm. you know, and keep patients and build that relationship with them over time. So.
1: Or at least if you know how to employ staff who can support you because it's incredibly important to have um, a really skilled professional, really skilled clinician. But then I think something that dentists and dental personnel need to understand is that you've got to have a lovely mix of staff there that complement what you're trying to achieve. And I think yeah. that's something of have working in big teams of people it's about creating spaces where you've got people that you understand each other, but you've got different skill sets.
0: Yeah. Mm. And speaking of teams, so you, you worked in private practice for about 10 years, is that right? Mm. So what was your experience of private practice? So, and it's a very broad question, but how did you find
1: it? Okay, look, I was very fortunate when I... Graduated from dental hygiene, I went back to the practice where I had worked before.
2: Mm.
1: And I think it was a really good space for me to go back to because they were very keen about growing their staff. And I think yeah. that's a really important message. So mentorship. Yeah, they, were, yeah. they were fantastic um, in that they would give you opportunities, encourage you to go on and do further studies. So mm. that was really.
0: Really I think like a very supportive environment. It was. Yeah.
1: Then I did work in some other practices, and that was also mm. a different experience, and yeah. I learned a lot. And yeah, so I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and then that took me into the public sector after that.
2: So.
0: Mm. And what would you say uh, are some of the biggest differences between uh, the private and public sector? I know it's, again, another broad question, but do you feel like um, in public you got to practice more of the kind of dentistry that you prefer to practice?
1: See, I guess perhaps I was very fortunate being able to make a choice of what I wanted to do, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, whether it's good fortune, serendipity, whatever Mm -hmm. you like, but there seemed Mm -hmm. to have been... I don't know if you want me to talk about the people that sort of influenced that just at yeah, this no, point. Of you know, I think it was meeting the right people at the right time mm. that introduced me to the public sector. And I think when I started out in the public sector, there was High Carrier's Risk Clinic okay. that uh, Dr John McIntyre was running. So mm. for me, that was a brilliant introduction to the public sector. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me and the parts the areas i've been fortunate enough to work in in the public sector were strongly based about patient care and improving general health as well as oral health and i think for me an underpinning thing is about general health is is a critical right. factor so it it was just i think these serendipitous moments that i happened to be in at the right time that i 've only worked in specialist areas yeah. so probably personally i wouldn 't enjoy working um, in other areas mm. but i 've been fortunate working in the, in the in the highly specialized areas, which yeah. is you know that was my big draw card there that I was able to do that and I've, while it was great working in private, I think it gave me some very good underpinning values was The ultimate is about your patient. Mm. Um, It's about your team that you're working with because it's a small area, whereas when you're Mm. working in the public domain, it's a great, you know, you can kind of lose yourself in there, but you're very highly visible in a private practice. And I don't think that's a bad thing because it it, Mm. uh, encourages you to be the best that you can be.
0: Yeah, Mm. definitely more of a push. It is so that was a
1: good thing, mm. and time management, you know, yeah. was was very important, which I have to say, I'm not great at most <laughs> of the time. But it, it, you know, there's value in both of them, and I would mm. say that it's good to work across both sectors to give mm. yourself. Get that experience. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Mm. So, uh, out of curiosity, when. Uh, when you were in private practice, what kind of populations were you really uh, treating? And was that sort of the inspiration for the work that followed?
1: Look, I'm trying to think. I think I was brought up in an environment was, you know, my parents were very much about looking after other people, Mm -hmm. very much involved in community. So that's been an underpinning... Just a constant. Constant (laughs) value that's there. And working in private, I mean, it was all people that could afford private health cover. Mm -hmm. And a few people that that were financially Mm -hmm. well able to manage private dental care. When did that change for me? I think it was when I opened myself up to working in high caries risk Mm -hmm. clinic.
0: Right. Um, so just, let me uh, walk around, see if okay. the lights back on. Oh, there we go. <laughs>
1: Too much, stupidness.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, i getting very involved in the Funny. conversation. Sorry, this can all be edited out later.
1: Oh, that's okay. Right. Um, so, yeah. So there were. It was mainly people that could afford yeah. private dental care.
0: So you felt like um, you yeah, know you could have been probably servicing more or populations that were more in need mm, i guess and
1: I, yeah and look i think through working in a country area i worked across two practices mm-hmm. um sort of up in the adelaide hills and they were two very different practices and seeing some of the people that were coming in to one of the other practices i think, oh, you know we're we, le- we really lack education and about dental health literacy mm. and that just sort of started you know over time it starts to gnaw away at you and as I said you know getting having the advantage of coming to work in high caries risk clinic yeah. was a really big kick start for me to think mm, there's got to be a better way
0: yeah mm. no that definitely makes a lot of sense uh one thing that I was actually really sad to see uh I was we talking before about how I just came back from Wyala. Mm. Um, it was the first time that, uh, or from my place I'm Wyala, I should, should be more specific. Mm. So um, it was the first uh, year of dentistry students that have been there in quite some time. And we have clinic five days a week. And previously, uh, we had a bachelor of Bachelor of Oral Health students there for quite a few years. And I know that uh, every so often they would go to schools and you know dispense sort of oral health information. I just thought that's such a valuable service that now people are missing out on, and you know just because of this shift in uh, shift in students. So I think it's a very sort of underrated service that really um, you know it does wonders in changing the, the overall mentality towards oral health. Definitely,
1: so. yeah, and no, I agree. I'd like to see the old school dental service reinstituted mm-hmm. and having you know the dental therapists or oral health therapists now back in the vans and going to schools because there was a real change, and that's something that I've seen over the years in dentistry is seeing kids and my boys in particular too going through the era when there was still a very big influence within the schools with school dental services and it was about education because I remember the the um, therapist used to provide education for the staff for the classes it was a very well integrated system and seeing a lot of those kids coming through most of them had reasonably good dentitions And still do have because of that really good education. And now a lot of that's gone and it's funding arrangements and things. Um, You know, it's bigger than you and I, but it's very frustrating when you see how it was a good system then. Mm -hmm. Kids were getting timely dental care when their parents weren't able to take them and it's, I think, a bit of a sad indictment on things that uh, kids and people often miss out now because parents might have just a little bit of work that supplements their health care card and they're not going to take a day off work to bring kids in for for dental care, whereas when they were at the schools, they would sign a consent form and the job would be done. Mm. So, you know, I think there's some good in the old system still and I think perhaps certain things need to be revisited in those in those spaces. Yeah, yeah. And absolutely. then with aged care, that's another one again.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, um, okay, so I've gosh. just been hitting you with these very broad questions. Oh, that's but, fine. Uh, since leaving private practice, you've obviously still been very involved in the dental field. Um, how has dent- dentistry changed and where do you see it going?
1: Right, okay. I've been very involved um, with the special interest group of the Hygiene Association and I used to sit on the National Aged Care Alliance. So it's a big national body. So there are about 80 peak bodies that were involved with that. So I was very involved with the Royal Commission and submissions through the association. And looking at where I'm working now in Special Needs Unit, that's a big love of my life too. I, I love working in that area and have been there for (laughs)
0: Sorry, you don't Uh, have to give a number. A
2: lot of (laughs) years. A lot
1: of years, And uh, it's still, I still feel the same way about it today as I did when I started there. But we're seeing people living longer. We're Mm. seeing more chronic illnesses. And we're seeing more complex dentistry. And that's fine, but it's a concern. When I see people down the track when they're older, or they've got some health condition and they're no longer able to be self-managing. I think as a profession, we need to be very mindful that it's great to be doing all the new modern techniques, but there are some risks that you need to think about. And we do need to be long-term thinkers instead of short-term thinkers. That um, we need to look at medical conditions much more. Closely and take much be much more attentive to that sort of thing than we were in the past because of the very factors: people are living longer, uh-huh. there are more chronic diseases. We're identifying more issues earlier, and so we're seeing younger people with the potential for chronic diseases that need to be managed. And invest time in, I think, preventive strategies mm-hmm. and maintenance strategies. Yeah and be very mindful of balancing the high-end dentistry very in a very considered way with all those other potential things.
0: Yeah, mm. uh, Yeah. just a quick question on that because uh, at the end of this year, yeah, I'm going to be graduated, uh, hopefully working somewhere, yeah, maybe in private practice. And I just have on my mind that while it would be great to implement a lot of these preventative strategies. Mm. Part of me is thinking, how am I going to have the time? <laughs> I feel like I'm so going to be very focused on that. Um,
1: and so that's where you know, have a good team. So yeah. you have a dental hygienist, or an OHT, someone who supports that. You know, I, I really, if I think about when I did dental hygiene, we were actually in the old dental hospital, and we used to work side by side with mm-hmm. the fifth years, which was fantastic because we would cross-refer to each other. Yeah. Now, nearly all of those dentists understood mm-hmm. what our role was, yeah. what the hygienist's hygienist role was. And so as a consequence, most of those employed dental hygienists, OHTs, yeah. to provide support. So you can have a fantastic practice um, with a really good team. So you look at your, you know, what am I trying to achieve? if you're doing bridges crowns implants etc that needs maintenance just because you've put that in the of public course. don't understand that yeah. it's not job done It actually requires a bit of work and that's where you say now if I think about how we work in special needs unit and in fact the first private practice I worked in they would say you need to work with Margie with my hygienist mm. and I'm going to do this this and this but it's really important that you take on board these strategies for management and so you have this really lovely symbiotic relationship there where you're supporting each other mm. and it creates a great deal of satisfaction yeah. for you as a dentist that you know you can trust your co-worker your employee whomever and your patient trust you because you're saying I'm doing this really fabulous work for you but you know you need some help here and support we want to see you come out with the best results not I just want a new Porsche or a new Aston Martin or something (laughs) like that and so what that does it creates um a team with your patient as well Mm.
0: no I I think that's that's a fantastic way of looking at it I think the uh, (laughs) um Yeah, the pressure, I think, on the, uh, the new grad to, mm. you know, to work to a certain, you know, speed mm. or standard yeah, is just immense. And sometimes the other things can fall by the wayside. Mm. So I think it's great looking at it in terms of a team and mm. some other people picking up the, the slack maybe. Yeah, so, right.
2: yeah.
1: And then you're giving value to each other and respect to each other and that's helping, I think, raise the um, profession in the eyes of the public that Mm. my gosh you know these people actually care about my outcomes yes i'm getting all this you know great stuff done uh, but unless it's like servicing your car if you don't service your car the whole thing
2: of
0: course
1: and so we have (laughs) to perhaps I often use analogies with my patients you know if you didn't paint your house or clean the cupboards or if you're a painter you know if you didn't clean all the flaky paint off first it's all going to peel off anyway. It's yeah. Same sort of thing.
0: It's it's yeah. funny hearing all the different analogies that yeah. people come up with. Everyone's got their own sort of, you know, their own sort of style, oh. yeah, their own little tips and tricks. Um, so I thought we might actually talk about some of your experience in the special needs unit as well. Oh. Um, so obviously, I think it would be a very rewarding experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any stories that you would like to share about some of the more you know, rewarding moments with patients?
1: Oh. I think if there's some funny moments, there's lots of funny moments. The strange thing is we laugh a lot in that unit. I think we all have a very odd sense of humor. Um, Sharon Liberali and I have worked together for many, many years. So we share some a lot of stories and uh, the journey together. I think that's the nice thing. There's a very cohesive team there and we don't have a big staff turnover, which
0: says something. So it's very tight in it is. Everyone yeah. must love working that
1: We so. do, yeah. I do. And very protective of each other, I can tell you, which is nice. And that's what a good team's about.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I think some of the f- stories, uh, a couple of examples, a fellow I've been trying to get him to quit smoking, uh, mm-hmm. has a chronic health condition. He came in one day and he said, well... I've finally done it. I've quit for six months. And he said, it's only taken you 15 years <laughs> to get me to do it. But he's actually quit smoking. So yeah. it's just this gentle um, reminders. I don't mm. sort of hit my patients with, well, you know, you should quit smoking. It's yeah. more along the lines of, look, I know we've had this conversation before, mm. but it's my duty to talk to you about it. Or it might be, I might say, look, I know you don't want me to talk to you about not smoking, but we've had the conversation now, haven't we? <laughs> I can tick the box. And so it's sort of a lighthearted approach, but they know that I'm serious about it. So yeah. um, I think what I love about it is establishing the relationship. There's been some very sad things in there too. Um which I found pretty tough when patients that were terminally ill came in to say goodbye and say thank you. That's tough. And uh, I can't think about it too much because I might start uh, uh, tearing up a bit, but that's rewarding in itself because I think it says to you that you've been an important part of their journey and they've appreciated what you do. So that for me, is incredibly rewarding. When you see patients that have come in with terminal perio, as we Mm -hmm. say, and they finally, their health is better, they're on the right medications, Mm -hmm. they keep their appointments, all of a sudden you see this resolution. Mm -hmm. And one fellow I can think of, he was terrified when he first came in. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we spent a lot of time, you know, nursing him along, if you like, getting him to the point where he was self-managing and um, sadly he died a couple of years ago. But, I'm
2: sorry to hear
1: that. <sighs> yeah. But we had a, a fantastic journey yeah. with him. It was hilarious a lot of the time. But we kept his teeth until the day he died. So while it's sad that he's gone, I have such fantastic memories of yeah. that we actually... Got rid of his fear of dentistry. We got his dentition stable mm-hmm. and he was able to self manage. And we would just keep bothering him all the time because we have a regular recall system. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like working in a private practice on a mm-hmm. public scheme thing. So it's brilliant. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, that, that's fantastic. And it sounds like the patients that come to see you and see the team, mm-hmm. are they just value that service the immensely. Team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sounds wonderful, honestly.
1: Yeah, so for a lot of them, it's the one thing that they can actually take charge of. So their health mm. might be out of control. And together we work together to maintain their oral health. And it gives them a sense of achievement that I can actually have control over this thing, which is very important,
2: mm.
1: creating that self-efficacy for people.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, so obviously we've... Uh, just gone over uh, some of the more challenging moments as well, I think, in, in working at uh, the Special Needs Unit. But what were, what were some of the more important things that you took away from your experiences there? So, oh,
1: I think about the resilience of the human spirit is just amazing. I think it taught me important things that you can still have compassion, but you kind of have to toughen up a little bit. Mm. You can't take home all this stuff and cry every night um which I did the early days I found it really hard to deal with but what it taught me that you don't lose your compassion by um stepping past that highly emotional sense that you have when you're dealing with people who are ill um it taught me that to tough love works with people even when they're in difficult circumstances and there's a way of doing it, kind of like with your kids. You know, <laughs> it's, the, it's the tough love thing, you know, I'm really not happy with that and you need to do this, yeah. that sometimes you do have to take um, a firm approach with things, with yourself as well. Yeah. Um, that empowering people to, to take something for themselves helps people get better, um, and notice changes within themselves, uh, that it is worthwhile whatever you do, even though, you know, the bad days and when things aren't going right and you make mistakes, we all make mistakes, and I think accepting your own mistakes and being able to apologise to people and say, well, you know, I'm sorry, um, that didn't work and perhaps we should have done that is okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's probably one of the more important skills I think the dental school tries you know, mm-hmm. to teach, just to take accountability for your mistakes and to look for you know, improvement or ways mm-hmm. to improve. Um, just to, something I want to touch on just quickly. So it sounds like you, you've obviously given a lot of yourself in, in your treatment. You know, you spend a lot of time with patients, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, building up those relationships. How, how do you avoid things like burnout? And what advice can you give to patients that are... Uh, sorry, well, not to patients, to, to students yeah. that have just graduated and they're having a bit of a tough time yeah, adjusting to, you know, to that 24-7 mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of yeah. you know, relationship with patients? Yeah.
1: It is tough because you can invest so much of yourself in there. I think something that we've encouraged in the unit, and certainly Liz Coates, she was the... Um, founder of the special needs unit she encouraged us all to talk amongst each other not outside with other people because you can't do that you can talk in general terms but we would spend some time if we'd had a really tough day to actually debrief to each other Mm. so you'd find someone to talk to but she also set up something for us with relationships australia to go and talk if we were really struggling Um, to go and empty your bucket there. And I still do that from time to time. I've got Mm -hmm. um, someone I go and have a chat to when things get bigger and out of proportion. And through doing that, I'd really encourage people to seek a mentor, someone who's not your family or friend, but someone who is in a professional capacity. There's no shame in doing mm-hmm. that psychologists have to do it as part of their their role anyway they have to have mm-hmm. a senior psychologist to talk to to empty their buckets yeah. and i think it's the same with dentistry because it is a stressful profession you're working so close to people it's a very intimate space you're working in yeah. and, and people you absorb it's very easy to absorb a lot of anxiety from your patients yeah. So, I would encourage you to have a hobby, to, to get up and have fun, <laughs> you know, read, read silly books.
0: Yeah. Put These, the dentistry aside. For absolutely
1: a put it aside and completely mm. switch off. It's really important. Exercise. I mean, I walk just about everywhere mm. and exercise, you know, do meditation, go to yoga um, mm. do things that you love. You know, be with people you love to be with, find really good friends, go for a walk along the beach, take a mental health day once in a while. Um, We all have days when we think, I just can't face that today and that's normal and that's okay. And I think recognising that within yourself, that you're not immortal, (laughs) you're not a superhero, Um, that you're a human being that needs to just go and let off some steam. But if you can't do that easily, then, you know, find a professional person that you can just go to and debrief. Mm. A mentor, really, really important. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I have some yeah. wonderful mentors over the years. Prof Townsend, we talked briefly about before. He yes. was an amazing person, which I'll touch on with my honours afterwards.
0: Oh, All right, at this point, we may take a quick break and we'll be right back. Wright Evans Partners, the dental, accounting and finance specialists. Our people are here to assist you in every step of your career. Whether you're a student, dentist or business owner, we have the tools and the experience to see you succeed. Our dental graduate program provides you with a complimentary tax return or business activity statement and a financial health check to help you kickstart your career. Contact us today via our website, Facebook and Instagram, or on 8208 4777 to start planning your financial future. WEP, with you every step of the way. All right, so after having worked in private practice and in the public system, uh, you came back to University of Adelaide to continue your studies. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Mm. Well, I started off when I was still I'd started working special needs unit mm. uh, and high care is risk clinic. And then I got asked to start doing some tutoring with first years and third years mm. and second years, I think, mm, a little after that, um, in the period clinics. So I then decided I needed to know a little bit more about what I was doing, so I decided I would, Start on an honors degree, and that was with Prof. Townsend, Prof. Winning, and um, it wasn't a very good time for me to start. But I learned a lot at the time. I was way too busy; had my elder son doing Year Twelve at school, younger oh, son. I was very stressful. <laughs> so we were all under stress. So I actually bailed on that. Uh, I, I intermitted. Okay. And I remember saying to Prof. Townsend, "Well, how long can I?" Intermit for, and he said, Well, that's really up to the supervisor, we can just decide, see how you go. So, I learned a lot in that time um, about what academic writing was all about, mm. which is very different than writing a nice little report for something. <laughs> so, um, I thought, Oh my gosh, this is terrible. You know, we'd have eight o'clock journal meetings, I'd travel mm-hmm. down from the hills, get the boys off to school, travel down the hill to early journal club meetings and you know in the end I was thinking what on earth am I doing (laughs) I'm making an absolute mess of this and I remember going to prof and saying I I just can't do this and and that was when he said look internet I'd recommend that you go and do this 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 which is what I did learned a little bit more about what I should shouldn't be doing and then I thought "Ah," just shelved it for a while Then in 2008, I started thinking about, oh, getting involved with Dental Health Awareness Week. So we used to go out to various uh, places like Bedford Industries, um, some of the drop-in centres for homelessness and do some education sessions there. Then the little seed kept growing. Well, maybe I should do a bit more about this.
2: Yeah.
1: And decided, and Prof De Vries, I don't know if you would have met.
2: um,
0: No, I haven't. haven't He was
1: dean of the dental school at the time and Prof Cathro was the head of endo at the time. And we got talking and... um, Prof. Freeze said, well, you keep talking about it, why don't you do something? So a grant opportunity came up. Yeah. And so this is what I'm talking about, these serendipitous moments. It's meeting the right the people. The right people at the right time. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, we need to do something for these really severely marginalised people.
2: Mm.
1: And so Prof Townsend, Prof Logan, yeah.
2: um,
1: uh, Dr. Parker, And Prof. Jamison from ARCPO. We formed a project group and we did some studies. We went out to the homeless centres, collected some information. And this is getting back to forming really good teams. So if we looked at um, Prof. uh, Dr. Parker, she's very strategic, she's really highly organised brain. She was brilliant. Um, Prof. Jamison amazing researcher and just can churn out (laughs) uh, research stuff and very experienced with grant proposals um prof logan had private practice background oral path um and very supportive of initiatives so he was uh, i think he just finished his oral path Oh, okay. yeah. At that time, Prof Cathro, very community-minded person, had had private practice, very strategic and had a big global perspective on how to get this, that and everything. Mm. So he was me with this brilliant idea. <laughs> and But this great team who yeah. worked together. So we did the research, then an opportunity came for a grant and that came through medicine, through the School of Medicine The head of health sciences then was um, Justin Bilby, and he said, "Oh, you're a bit keen on doing these sort of things. Would you like to apply for these grants?" I went, "Oh, yeah, why not?" (laughs) So we got the money, and I did everything back to front. So I had I had the place at Common Ground, no idea how I was going to get the money,
2: but
1: certain it would happen, and. It just all fell into place. I just took it on faith and thought, you know, I really, really, really want this. We really need it. We had the evidence there. Mm. So, and about the same time, Prof. Jamison said, Oh, look, why don't you resume your honours with me? And I went, Oh, no, (laughs) no, no. I can't do this to myself. She said, But I've got this data that I really need to get it published. Mm. And it kind of linked in, it was about the social and emotional well-being of Aboriginal youth and it was tracked over 20 years um, and their access to dental care. So it was was the right time and the right information because it sort of linked in with marginalisation, social and emotional well-being, how you how people see their perspective on life and how they yeah. see themselves relating to health, which really meshed in nicely. So I thought, well, you know, I may as well completely kill myself, at the you know, in one fell swoop, you know, do my honours, set up a clinic and keep working and <laughs> all of that.
0: You yeah, took it all on. I
1: took it all on. But I, again, I had fantastic people supporting me and helping mm-hmm. me.
0: It sounds like you definitely had the A-team at your back.
1: Just I <laughs> did. I, you know, amazing people. Yeah. yeah. So that was kind of the study and the the forming of the outreach clinic all in one yeah. little swoop. So, um,
0: yeah. So I, I had a, a quick question about um, community outreach and then we can talk a little bit more about uh, common ground.
2: Mm.
0: But... Yeah, for those that are coming towards the end of their degrees, so um, BOH and BDS students, respectively, um, there can be a significant pull to start uh, sort of working and earning money uh, and sort of moving on with their sort of other goals in life. Um, and Additionally, most new grads won't also own their own practice, so they won't be able to contribute by uh, donating materials or you know, any kind of patient adoption schemes or anything like that. How would you encourage students or new grads to contribute to community projects after graduating?
1: I think you look around for the things. I mean, obviously, there's the ADHF, the Australian Dental Health Foundation, which I think Josh Tyrrell manages now. Used to be Henry Jilkes. So that's part of the ADA. And then we have our Community Outreach Dental Program and there are other volunteer organisations around but I'd encourage you to put your name down you know get in touch with the organisations and look to doing some volunteer work whether it's helping out with Dental Health Awareness Week whether it's saying look I've got a half a day a week I'd like to I think the big thing is when you graduate you need to consolidate your skills Mm. and that takes time for all of us it really does so what I do sometimes, for example, if someone says, look, I'm really keen to help um, out of the clinic, what I generally do is get them to work with one of our volunteer dentists and just kind of feel their way in, you know, maybe for a couple of sessions to get an idea and then do some volunteer work. So that's one way you can do it. Yeah. Um, start your own organisation (laughs) but you have to have something set up to do it and I mean we are located at common ground but we do have the capability if someone says look I'd like to do some work on the weekend Mm. we could possibly look at doing that somehow or other and we are looking to work a bit more with the ADA to
0: set some opportunities up. Mm expanding, do, uh, operations, expanding a little bit. operations a little bit mm.
1: everything's always That's, a work in progress <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're never yeah. quite done with anything it's just never quite always <laughs> never yes,
1: but yeah. yes it is tough when you're just about to start um, out into the profession and mm. being concerned about you know keeping your skills up for registration getting enough work etc but mm.
0: Yeah, so I think that's that's really good advice. Um, I've yet to do my Common Ground sessions a bit later in the year, but good. I'm very much looking forward to it. Good. Um, so on the topic of Common Ground, what kind of populations, do, of those that don't know, uh, mm. what kind of populations does Common Ground usually service?
1: Okay, so homelessness, mm. people that have been on a very low income. So you get, we always talk about the working poor. Mm. So you get a group of people who, and this is... A perennial issue there that they are earning but just not, not enough. enough that yeah. they can afford private health cover and they often leave their dental work until it's an absolute emergency
2: yeah.
1: or you get people who don't have a health care card because they earn two dollars too much yeah. to get that so they're not um, eligible for the public sector so we get Occasionally we get those people. Um, We see a few international students because Medicare doesn't cover dental. And so when you're in a strange country, and I think COVID certainly presented that to us, we were finding these clusters of people who all of a sudden they're stranded here. Their countries are suffering terribly. And so their money source dried up plus the job opportunities dried up too so they were sort of stuck here with their scholarships and nothing else that would just pay for their accommodation Mm -hmm. and tuition we've had one or two where their tuition wasn't even paid so it's been pretty tough and they've been getting food parcels from the Magdalene Centre etc so So that's another group. And then refugees and asylum seekers too, people who don't have a healthcare card, who are still sitting on a temporary visa permit which entitles them to absolutely nothing. Yeah. So we work through the Red Cross and St Vinnie's and a couple of other organisations to to reach these people. So it's quite a, a diverse group of people but we work really in with SA Dental Service because their job is to look after people who have healthcare cards. We look after the people that don't quite fit into those circumstances. So sort of picking up the stragglers there. And also when we um, signed up to the deal with working at Common Ground we get that place rent free which is absolutely amazing mm-hmm. so we have a memorandum of understanding there yeah. so we provide service for all their tenants in there. so that was the trade-off we'll look after your people yeah. and you we'll <laughs> look after our people but it works well and that's yeah. uh, what i really enjoy about this being able to negotiate with people so that everybody's winning something from it
0: yeah um so you mentioned something interesting about how COVID has really changed things with certain certain demographics. How have you seen um, you know, the treatment and the patients changing over the past sort of you know, year or so? Have you had this large influx of patients or has it been...
1: We, we had, um, I guess because of the restric- restrictions last year, we had quite a backlog of things, but what we're seeing is a huge amount of endo, huge -hmm. amount of extractions and dentures. So I think what we see with people that are severely marginalised and don't have a very good dental IQ Mm
2: -hmm.
1: or general health IQ um, compounded with restrictions that happened last year, there's there's this sort of backlog of... um, people not knowing what to do with themselves and not knowing how to care for themselves. And so a lot of things sort of got dragged back. So we've had this burgeoning of, of emergency-type treatment, if you will, rather yeah. than maintenance-type treatment.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's interesting you say that because um, I remember reading recently that um, just over the course of COVID, uh, a lot of people are staying inside and... Mm. Um, just uh getting getting depressed not really taking care of themselves properly and that's probably one of the the factors that's led to this they're just not you know um probably taking care of their oral health and mm. yeah, you know, it, it's it's come to this point now where they're just getting a lot of distractions a lot of endodontic treatments so, Um mm. yeah it's um it's interesting seeing how you know what's happening in the world is really pushing it everyone is. towards this it's sort of treatment.
1: silently done that. And so people who were already marginalised, mm-hmm. it then compounded the issues there. So if yeah. you were um, a refugee or asylum seeker, all of a sudden the support services weren't the same and mm-hmm. the, the social gatherings weren't the same. And so, yeah, you're right, people stay home and so they'd cook and they'd eat stuff with lots of sugar in and, and just generally, yeah. yeah.
0: Yep. Um, so we've kind of touched on it already, but what kind of treatments do you usually find yourself doing at the, uh, the clinic? So...
1: We do everything.
0: Okay. Well, everything. When I say everything, let me let me get that
1: straight. <laughs> um, we do simple restorative. We'll yep. do endo, we'll do um, dentures, preventive, mm-hmm. period treatment, extractions, Um We have one of our oral surgeons who's coming to help us out too, Mm. Russell. Yeah. So everybody knows and loves him, so he's put his hand up to help us. And so, yeah, all really basic Mm. uh, restorative maintenance
0: dentistry. Yeah. Yeah. So all all the basics are on the table.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And we do a, a complete course of care for people. We don't just do emergency. So if someone comes in with a toothache will we'll attend to that but we will also say well look, you know, we need to get mm. onto this issues two so interest. we don't mm. have you coming back with emergencies again.
0: Mm. Um, just quickly on that point, do you find that a lot of people see through their courses of care? Or Mostly. Do you, mm. most, okay.
1: They do. Because oh, it, it doesn't yeah. cost them anything. <laughs> but, you uh, know, most people do, you know, mm. and we do try and impress on them. And a couple of our volunteer dentists, I mean, they've all, they're all private practitioners who mm. give up their time for us, which is pretty awesome. But um, a couple of them, no, all of them say, you know, okay. you need to get this sorted, we need to fix mm. this up. And they're quite clear about the importance of their oral hygiene mm. and how important, so they give the, the relevance to everything that they do. Oh, yeah, most people carry through.
2: Oh,
0: that's excellent. Mm -hmm. Um, So could you tell us about any moments you had working in uh, in Common Ground that had a big impact on you? Another story time. (laughs) Another
1: story time. Oh, gosh. I think the challenges there has really called on resourcefulness and Mm -hmm. contacts and people negotiation skills. So when you're working with people that have come, for example, from a war zone, they come with not a lot of trust yeah. to them. So we've nearly come unstuck a couple of times, but Nisipa, it comes back to documentation of everything that you yeah. do and, and making sure that you put... Those obscure conversations into your documentation that the patient wasn't happy about something, patient questioned this. So fortunately, we had one young woman who, I guess bottom line was that she she'd had a pretty terrible time back in her home country and very much disempowered and had come with that. It's PTSD, it really is post-traumatic stress disorder and when people have been faced with that, they behave very differently than those of us that haven't had that sort of um, life. She thought we were really trying to take advantage of her, that she wasn't happy with a particular treatment and she was set to take out. Legal proceedings, so oh, okay. I had to set up mediation. And fortunately, the agency that I work with—I explained the situation. They knew it. They mm-hmm. knew what was going on, and what she had done was go to several different agencies to get help.
2: Yeah.
1: And this, the, the sad story, etc. So I said, "Right, this has got to stop. We've got to sit down, and we need to talk about this. We need to sort this mm-hmm. out today." So we set up a meeting. And we resolved the issue mm-hmm. um, satisfactorily. When I said to her, I don't know what you're hoping for, but if we don't have anything, why would we want to, to take advantage of you when we have no personal gain at yeah. all in this? And this was clearly explained explained to her. I think I've learned about mediation skills has mm-hmm. taught me a huge thing of, it, of how to bring people together the best I can I mean I still make mistakes we all make mm. mistakes but it's taught me a lot about putting myself in someone else's shoes that I can't expect people to understand my values when their values are so totally removed mm. from mine when they've come from such a different upbringing yeah. such a different home and so, such a different community
0: so yeah. Yeah. such a completely different experience of the oh, world totally.
1: And I, I still try and get my head around that and sit down and think, you know, what must that feel like? Mm-hmm. I think I've got no idea and I think it's taught me to be better at saying to people, I've no idea how that feels for you, yeah. absolutely no idea and I can't even pretend that I do, but I want you to tell me about what it is that we need to do to help you mm-hmm. and how to understand. So, yeah big learning for me but yes so it's it's taught me never to to judge people Mm. uh, and never to put my values onto somebody else
0: Mm. I think it's very Mm. important (laughs)
2: Um,
0: so I think that just about wraps it up for uh, for us today Um, do you have any final words or any uh, advice for students before we sign off
1: I think be prepared to ask for help Never think you know it all. If you don't know something, ask someone. Don't don't ever pretend that you're smarter than somebody else because it's a sure way to to fall foul of it. And I think if the the people that I've worked with over the years, Liz Coates, Sharon Liberali, Prof. Townsend, Dr. Hirsch, I think all of them would defer to somebody else if they didn't know. And they're people who are, you know, really held in very high esteem and, and done huge amount of study, but they will still say, I hear them saying, well, unfortunately we don't have Prof Townsend with us anymore, nor Dr Hirsch, but Sharon will say, you know, I need to ring so-and-so up because I, I don't know what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And it's no shame
0: yeah. in
1: that at all. And I think people appreciate honesty. <laughs> mm.
0: And I think, yeah, patients in particular, I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's all about providing the best care oh, that you can for the is. patient. Yeah. yeah. So defer as soon as it's within or yeah, outside of your scope of um, practice, I
1: think. That's right. And yeah. I think just, you know, enjoy your journey, you know, mm. take joy in what you do. If you don't like what you're doing, go and do something else. If you don't... Yeah. If never too fun, late. <laughs> it's never too late, you know. I'm still looking at other things that I might do. <laughs> So, yeah, I think just enjoy your life and and be true to yourself. Be the best person Mm -hmm. that you're meant to be. Keep yourself educated, keep yourself informed and be brave.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It was an absolute delight to talk to you today.
1: Pleasure.
2: Thank you. Thank you.